Hi, and welcome to Women's Health Clarity, the podcast giving a big voice to the things women worry about. I'm Chloe Bunter, Pilates teacher trainer and creator of the Pilates Instructor Hub. My mission is to help you feel empowered in your body to move fearlessly. And I'm Kate Spina, nutritionist, award-winning chef, eating disorder survivor, helping you feel more confident about what you eat. Together, we're delivering the truth bombs you need to feel more empowered about your health, physical, emotional, and mental. If you find this episode helpful, we'd love you to leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with other women in your life. Hello, everyone. Hi, Chloe. And you might have noticed a little name change there in the intro. Hi, Kate. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Name change. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a little change from no BS women's health to women's health clarity, which is exactly what we're about. And um, it will still have a, it will still have, oh, sorry for talking over you, Kate. I was going to say it will still have a very strong no BS, no BS (laughs) vibe running through it. Um, This is a BS uh, free zone. Is that that what we say? Yeah, BS free zone and and while I remember trigger warning, we swear when we get worked up about women's health. So Yeah. Look, I swear when I'm not worked up as well. So I think it's really I think it's just I swear. Um <laughs> if you don't like swearing. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> okay, well look, there's a lot to um it's a lot to be really worked up about in the sphere of women's health um, and rights and human rights um, this this week, sadly, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade um, in the States and the criminalisation of abortion. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about this multiple times daily, this week, Chloe, and I've had to explain it to my children. And mm. they're, they're just completely like, and they're young, but they get it. Well, they'd be seeing it all over the media, right? Yeah, and they're yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and, and I have two boys and a girl, and my eldest boy cannot, cannot understand why he has a bigger say than his sister. Mm. Like that big, Wow, is he like, thinking about that? Yeah, he's like, I don't, I wow. don't get why why him as a as a little white male mm. albeit in Australia actually that his opinion is more important than his sisters and that he you know that that white males can control what happens to women and their health um, and and it just astounds me too the power that the supreme court has in the US i must admit i was a little bit um not a little bit, I was completely naive to the powers that they had and their role. So, of course, I wanted to educate myself and I found a great – I just went on to the um, Encyclopedia Britannica and I was able to read through the entire history from inception of the Supreme Court. Um, It also gave a list of the the big cases that they've either voted, you know, for or against. Yeah. really heavy and fascinating and just to me um diabolical that that many I think what is it is it seven judges in total 
yeah. that sit on the board. Is that right? Hand, Seven judges? Yeah, a handful of people yeah. making yeah, it's, I mean, I could be wrong on the seven. I can't quite remember. I'm sorry. But it was, it's a small amount of people and it's just disgusting. But I, what I really would love everyone to do that's listening um, is watch the incredible documentary called The Janes. Mm. Um, if you're in Oz, you can stream it on Binge. That's where I watched it. Um, and I think it's on HBO if you're, you know, uh, otherwhere, otherwise in America, etc. But I, it, it's phenomenal. So it follows this group of everyday women um, and activists who, uh, in the late sixties to early seventies, who up until leading up to Roe v. Wade, um, and basically they initiated an underground abortion um, clinic, so to speak, that would travel around to different people's houses. Like they were constantly having to move it because it was highly illegal what they Mm. were doing um, so that they could safely help women get abortions. They were in Chicago. Um, And it was – it's – the documentary shows a fascinating insight into what society was like back then – um, into how it was so so run by white, <laughs> predominantly predominantly white men, but men in general, um, mm. and women had little to no autonomy over their bodies. These women, the Janes, were just mind blowing. They ended up helping or performing eleven thousand or thereabouts abortions. Um, mm. with a very low risk rate, which was pretty incredible considering the guy that they had doing the abortions for most of the part, turns out he wasn't a doctor. They thought he was a doctor. They oh, even, they've even got this guy in the interview. Like you've got in the documentary and they interview him. You've got to watch this to believe it. He was performing all these abortions and he wasn't a doctor. And so when they found that out, they had two choices to either shut it down or guess what they decided to do instead. They learnt how to perform the abortions. So (gasps) they watched him doing the abortions. Then he left and they, these women, the Janes, they performed all the abortions themselves. Wow. 100% not, they were not nurses, they were not doctors um, and so on. And they had a very low, which was really interesting to know, very low um, risk rate. In fact, it was lower than what they were seeing uh, women who were going into hospitals, etc., were having because abortion was really shunned. As even if it was legal in the state, yeah. um, women were having a really hard time when they were going to an actual doctor as well. It's yeah. just, it's just it, you, you've got to watch it. I think it will give you great insight mm-hmm. into where we do not want to go back to. I know. Oh, it's just, it's, I, I'm still stunned. I just, it's so scary and it feels, yeah, it just feels like, like so many leaps backward. Um, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I cried when I found out about it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. I, I, I'm just raging and I think it's really fine that we are raging and we should be fucking raging about this and I want to see more men step up and rage the fuck about it as well oh 
we are totally um, justified to be furious, but everyone should be. Everyone should be. This is not not just just women's business, you know. This is not just people with a uterus. Yeah, no. It's a human rights issue. Uh Uh-huh. And um, while, like, pregnancy mainly affects women in, in terms of, you know, those immediate first steps about whether you have an abortion or not, there are men out there who would like to have a joint say with their partner and whether they have a child or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. But it just it it just feels, you know. And and we were saying we were talking about this before. You know, we have a women's health podcast. There are so many out there. Do we really need another one? Yes, we do. We need as many voices out there talking about women's health and women's health rights Mm -hmm. as possible because it is so obviously needed Mm, it's like we're subhuman or something still it's it's really I don't know it's it's blowing my mind the whole world just should be raging right Mm. now Mm. um so so get angry get educated and be proactive like be active in this if you can join a rally join a rally if you can you know, I, like I, there's so many places to go and look at ways you can help. Um, Planned Parenthood uh, are popping up plenty of resources and things you can do um, to to help. Um, yeah, have you got any other suggestions at this point, Kate? Um, oh, look, the big the big takeaway for me was what, like even you just saying that's like we're subhuman. I was at a, a a conference last week and was listening to a really amazing Indigenous speaker um, talking about awareness. And and this feels similar, you know. Fighting for women's health rights is actually fighting for human rights. So not just getting active in a women's health space, but getting active for everybody. Mm. Thinking about it and, like, and I think this resonates with women especially and it's, God, like we don't need... We have enough to fight for, but thinking about it broadly as human rights mm. and, and getting active in all those different things you can do. So, like, that perspective for me was, am I championing um, Indigenous rights in my area as much? A- am I, you know, am I expressing um, that respect in that way mm. as I hope that other people would expect it, would um, express it for women? Mm. That's me thinking about, okay, how can I really walk that talk Mm. for every marginalised population that I can, Mm. not just because let's be be clear, unless you are a straight white male, preferably in America, you are a marginalised population pretty much Mm. to a set, you know, with many nuances there in many degrees. But And that, look, and that touches on today's topic because today we're talking about a health issue that affects more women than men. So, Oh, fucking surprise, surprise. Surprise, it doesn't get (laughs) as Surprise, fucking surprise. Like. (laughs) Doesn't get as much attention. Oh, man, I don't, oh, gosh, and then I just said, oh, man. I'm like, I feel like, what do, do I need to like, I feel like, do I need to take, turn my microphone off? Walk out of the room, walk back in, sit back down, <laughs> recalibrate. Just, just scream on the inside, Chloe. We're all, we're all with you because today we're talking about IBS. So, 
IBS and gut health. Yeah, so IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, um, very common. More commonly affects women than men, so it affects, um, and that that's double. So there's double the amount of women affected by IBS than there are men. Can I can I um, double tap there for a second? Is mm-hmm. that because I'm just curious? Mm. Is that because more women um, come forward and say, "Hey, I've got these symptoms. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel quite right." I, I'm, do you know what I mean? Like, are we like where are those kind of stats coming from, or is it something that? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I looked, I looked into this because um, there are a couple of countries where um, you know it's a bit lower that there's there's. Um, it's more equal in women and men affected. And those countries are ones where women are less likely to go and see male GPs. Um, so that was interesting. But there was other studies looking into it that actually suggest that the rate of IBS in women is actually much higher mm. um, and that women actually, you know, and this is a hypothesis that women actually just tough it out or are too busy to go get it checked out or, um, you know, go when they go to the doctor they're looking for immediate symptomatic relief rather than men who like one study looked at are men more proactive and actually getting to the bottom of something because they have the time and mental load to do so so there's lots of factors influencing this um so that that's challenging my bias a little because my experience of men in my life (laughs) has been more that they will put off going and getting, you know, something looked at until they feel like they might be on death's door with it, yeah, so to speak, you know. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to look at that um, closer. There's not a lot of research mm. on it though, but, yes, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if IBS seems to be high in women because they report the symptoms more. Uh-huh. Um, but those symptoms often get written off as other things, which is which is interesting. So, um, and those symptoms include most commonly. Um, so, everyone listening, put your, you know, put a finger up if this is you. Um, bloating, cramping, constipation, diarrhea, sometimes pain when having a bowel movement, sometimes nausea as well. And most people will get more dominant symptoms than others. So normally you see IBS categorised as IBS-C, so IBS constipation, or IBS diarrhoea, or IBS mixed. But let's be clear that IBS just describes that group of symptoms and doesn't actually tell you what's causing it. Mm. So that's, I'm already feeling the rage, Chloe. That's my first issue Mm. with IBS in that, you know, if it is predominantly women getting affected, we've got women, mainly women going to a GP and like me 20 years ago, or actually a little bit over 20 years ago, when I went to my GP saying, look, I've got these, you know, erratic, you know, gut symptoms, mm. told that my gut was just cranky and I would just have to deal with it. Mm. Which, I, mm, I know, and, and that's appalling and I really hope it's changing now. In, in my experience, I have been lucky that more recently things are changing but I think like you and I spoke about before too it's really I think it really depends who the doctor is you see 
Yeah, I've seen some great GPs who've been incredibly proactive with my healthcare, and then I've seen other GPs who um, have just felt dismissive. Oh, oh, completely. Actually, on that, I want to give a shout out to Inner North Medical in um, Brunswick East. They're on like on street they're amazing they're um, like the most caring um holistic genuinely give a shit about you doctors i've ever known in my life like um and it's actually just a joy to go to their it's a weird thing to say that it's a joy to go to their center as well like there's plants everywhere they've just and they've always got really nice music playing they've just really (laughs) tapped into it and their doctors are so on it and, yeah. and come at it again from a biopsychosocial aspect, which is what human beings are, right? How nice is it when a doctor treats you as a person rather than just symptoms? Um, I walk in and before, like the doc, my doctor, she comes out and she's so happy to see me. How have you been? Like she actually <laughs> remembers, you know, you could go to a doctor a few times and you're like, do they remember that they've seen me before? I've actually been to medical centres where I'm like, this doctor definitely doesn't remember seeing me before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you get in, what's been going on? How, da, 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 like just, and it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And building that therapeutic alliance. But anyway, I digress. So I think all of that is so important to, to health and feeling, feeling heard. Um, but IBS, it seems to be something that is IBS and gut health in general. Um, I don't think feels very well understood, which I'm excited about you helping us clarify. So for me, mm. Kate, um, as a layperson, remembering everyone, I'm, I'm the Pilates instructor here, <laughs> ask me about movement, but uh, you know, nutrition is not my, not my scope of practice. So mm. when, in, when I've thought historically about gut stuff, you know, if mm. I've had anything that seems to be, you know, a gut situation, the answers seem to always be, well, you just go and buy a probiotic and you, mm. and you take it. You take a probiotic and that's like the fix-all, right? Yes. So with my recent gut stuff, I've actually found that taking a probiotic actually inflames my symptoms. Ooh. Okay, we need to have a chat about this after the oh, podcast. No, I know. Oh, don't you worry. I've done my re- oh, cyber. I've done my research. <laughs> don't you worry. I've been on your page, Kate. I've been on your page. <laughs> that, please fine. tell me, everyone, you need to be following Kate. Mine as well, please. But you better be following Kate's Insta page if you want to get like really helpful tidbits every day about all things nutrition and gut. Oh, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's that's a big pointer towards a. A, well, a like, well, let's, a like, well, let's talk about that. Like, so let's talk about sort of what are the different, okay, we know we've got a gut. Can we start, can we actually zoom out a bit? Yeah. And can we start, start with, well, what is the gut microbiome first? Um, okay. So your um, gut microbiome lives largely in your large intestine. So that's basically your poo shoot. Like, is that what's called? That's what I'm calling it. Everyone knows what I mean when I say that, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got it. Poo shoot, okay. Poo shoot, yeah. That's where we'll take um, that's where your main your like Quotable, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. Tech tech language, Chloe. Poo shoot. Large intestine poo shoot. Yep. Okay. Large, 
So, um, which is quite low down. Like that's where the bulk of your gut bacteria live. And that's where um, most IBS symptoms are coming from. That's where bloating is most likely uh-huh. to happen. Um, although you can get um, bloating elsewhere, but that's where bloating is most likely to happen. That's where you're constipated when your stools aren't moving down and out regularly. Um, that's where cramping will come from in IBS. Um, and so, yes, you're right, you know, it's been quite trendy and, and pretty common advice to to take a probiotic if you have those symptoms, mm. um, hap- you know, happening around there in the large intestine. Um, but... You know, and while probiotics can be amazing when you're using specific strains for specific goals, because that's where the research is now. Like 10 or 20 years ago, it was like, hey, we think bacteria might make your gut feel better. Mm. Whereas now we're saying this specific strain of lactobacillus, if taken for four weeks, should do this very specific thing in your body and not just necessarily in your gut. Um but yes, yeah, so the large intestine is is most likely where you're looking at when you're looking at IBS because, um, as you said, those symptoms could come from an imbalance in your gut microbiome. So you know, a massive population of gut bacteria with you know hundreds of different types. Um, good and bad, hopefully more healthy gut bacteria than bad bacteria, living happily in your large intestine, breaking down hard to digest fibres, producing short chain um, fatty acids, which are anti-inflammatory as a result, um, supporting the gut mucus lining in your gastrointestinal tract, um, supporting your immunity, um, producing vitamins, like some of your gut bacteria actually help you produce um, a type of vitamin B and a type of vitamin K. So there's a lot going on there. So the first thing I'm looking at, so, uh, you know, IBS is just that, you know, vague, oh, you've got a cluster of symptoms that we can't explain. Most GPs will, if those symptoms are really severe, will get more sinister causes ruled out. So things like inflammatory bowel disease, like Crohn's, um, you might get an ulcer ruled out so you might be sent for a colonoscopy um but when we're looking at other possible causes of ibs we're looking at an imbalance in that microbiome so more unhealthy bacteria than good bacteria or maybe we see some of those bacteria in the wrong spot so they've migrated out of the large intestine and up into the bottom part of the small intestine. So that's what we would class as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. Mm. Um, and the, the reason I've, I'm absolutely passionate about this is because women have a higher incidence of IBS after gut infections than men but actually a change in your gut symptoms after infection is probably SIBO or gut dysbiosis. Mm. Yeah, and and, um, I think that's so interesting and it's only something that I have been learning about recently. And um, 
dysbiosis actually means so dysbiosis means something's not normal right it's an imbalance yeah. just just so <laughs> we go like because I remember thinking I have no idea what the word dysbiosis means so I had to do a little little google of it um so phys- correct me if I'm wrong Kate my research says that um when it's normal it's often referred to as physiologic yeah right yeah. and then when it's unbalanced it's dysbiosis yeah, so in your gut, your gut is not like peachy clean and, you know, this peachy clean cheerleading team. There's um, healthy bacteria in there which are, you know, producing those vitamins, breaking down fibres, producing anti-inflammatory short-chain fatty acids. There are less than healthy bacteria which um, should be there in smaller amounts and when they die, die off, um, they can sometimes release um, an endotoxin um, and increased inflammation, but they, they're probably in your gut. They should be there in small amounts. And if that's the case, that's fine. You've probably got a few types of like, um, fungal strains in there. You've probably got a, you know, tiny amount of candida or things in your gut. But the idea is that all those things are living together in a balance, Mm. which means the healthy bacteria outweigh the bad, um, but sometimes that balance can be disrupted by, like, for example, um, having a really bad case of gastro. Ah. We see that. We see that in toddlers. So any mums out there who've had toddlers um, who've had a bad case of gastro and then haven't tolerated milk for a few months afterwards, um, that's often because a really bad case of gastro can disrupt the intestinal lining where the lactase wow. is. And then they just can't break down lactose for a little while until that gut lining repairs itself. Wow. So we're aiming for this balance. You're never, ever going to have a perfect microbiome. There's always going to be a mixed population in there, but hopefully the, the good outweighs the bad. And when we take antibiotics, the antibiotics yeah. kill off all or just the good? No, they kill off They kill off a fair percentage of both. Right. They are. Um, they, you know, they tend to wipe out the bad bacteria that's causing you problems, Uh you know, and let's be clear, antibiotics can save your life. They've probably saved my life in the past. Oh, hundred. Oh my gosh. We would not want, I would not want to go back to the day and age before penicillin was invented. No, No, hard no, (laughs) hard no. Uh, But in doing that, in getting rid of that bad bacteria that is really causing you problems, it also, or antibiotics also um, reduce good bacteria. So the issue there is that um, as those bacteria repopulate, there's an opportunity there for the bad bacteria to out, outgrow, displace the good bacteria, especially if you're not eating a lot of fibre. So if you've had an infection, if you've had, a, like, for example, a UTI that's progressed to a kidney infection and you're like, hell yeah, give me those antibiotics, um, thank Christ. Um, but then, you, you know, so the antibiotics have worked, but you're still not feeling yourself. So perhaps you're eating some really easy to prepare lower fiber foods. Which I was going to say is really normal. Like when it's you're really sick, I, I thought about it this week because I'm, um, I've had a really shitty cold this week. Yeah. And the only food I'm craving is like, you know, obviously it's whatever, it's something easy, maybe something I can whack in the microwave, um, you know, bowl of juice, just anything. Like the last thing I want to be doing is cooking veggies. 
and doing all of you know it's yeah and I and I thought about it and I thought I could probably be eating things at the moment that would better support my return to feeling on top of my health but at the same time I'm like I need to do what's really easy yeah. for me right now and what I can yeah. tolerate palate wise I mean, and and stress impacts your gut bacteria as well so we know that high stress depletes your good gut right Gosh, this, this is so fascinating so I, yeah. I don't know if we're going I don't think we're going off topic but with the antibiotics mm. um because I think that was the first time you know when back in the day you took antibiotics and then you get thrush from it and that's you know yeah. the docs straight away take probiotics to sort that imbalance out and yeah. then there was a study and you know what it's really frustrating that I haven't been able to find this bloody study again there was a study that a medical center that I used to go to in Bondi shared that had been done on um, gut re- gut microbiome return. Okay, so they basically looked at people that had taken antibiotics yeah. um, and that those then that took probiotics afterwards or those then that didn't take probiotics, right? Yeah. And interestingly, or maybe a little bit controversially, what they found was that actually those that didn't take the probiotic, their gut microbiome naturally came back to its homeostasis Mm. faster than those that took the probiotics. Yeah. What's that about? I can can find that study for you because I read that. I think I probably Yes. Yeah. Um, So your, your gut microbiome has been shaped from the time you were born. Um, heavily influenced by where you live and the foods you you commonly eat. But we know that you can influence your gut bacteria like very quickly by what you're eating and specifically if you're eating like fibre and resistant starch. Um, Super quickly, much more. So it's much better. What that study I think highlights um, for me is that it's much better to feed those good gut bacteria with the right foods and let those good gut bacteria thrive rather than throwing a probiotic at your gut. Because let's be clear, the only bacteria in probiotics are ones that can grow in a lab. Right. That that constitutes probably, or I hope I'm quoting the, la- the latest research on this, but at last time I looked, it was like less than 10% of the bacteria that are in your gut can actually be grown in a lab and put in a capsule. Really? And one of the most beneficial gut bacteria you have is one called Acomansia mucinophilia. Well and done on one, saying that. Oh, I think I got that second word wrong. <laughs> but um, it, it actually, like, it feeds off and supports the health of your mucus lining. So it's a great little gut bacteria. Can't be grown in a lab, though. Wow. You can't pop that in a probiotic, but you can feed it. Right, so we've got to try and nurture it with what we yeah. eat. But then this is, and this is where, oh, Chloe, this is a beautiful arc because this is where we circle back to IBS because the foods that feed that bacteria and lots of other good bacteria are foods that are often higher in FODMAPs. So FODMAPs. FODMAPs Here we're going to have a rage moment. She's going to rage about this for, rage sure, moment, yeah. for sure. <laughs> FODMAP is an acronym. You'll understand why it's an acronym now because it stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Damn, I did not know that. (laughs) 
you don't need you can forget (laughs) can I forget that now can I just Just stick with FODMAP thanks free that space up in your brain for something more important but but the the conventional treatment if you've been told you have IBS remember just a cluster of symptoms um and is to be put on a low FODMAP diet Mm. um and to be to be clear that can often alleviate those symptoms of bloating and constipation and diarrhea but in the long term all those fibers that those good gut bacteria that acomancia is going to thrive on and help you know protect your mucus layer they love the fibers in high fodmap foods so going on a low fodmap diet for the long term uh, it's going to starve those little dudes starve those little dudes it's an incredibly it can be an incredibly restrictive diet at the start if you're not actively trying to introduce some high higher fodmap foods back in gradually um but like get to the cause like this is why it's so important to get to the cause because we get diet women let's be clear mainly women get diagnosed with ibs and mainly women get told to go on a incredibly restrictive diet mm. because hey it's not like we don't do that enough i was just going to say this is going to feed into all that head fuckery in regards to to eating and restrictive eating and this is very very far away from intuitive eating like this is like yeah. going the opposite end to intuitive isn't it yeah kind of, sort and, of yeah and you know what a low FODMAP diet if someone is coming to me and their symptoms are off the chart and they're in pain and sometimes they're missing work sometimes they're afraid to travel mm. you know I, IBS impacts mm. like people's lives in such a huge way and some people are so embarrassed by how much it impacts their life Mm. but I guess so initially I will sometimes say okay hey Mm. just to give you some symptomatic relief and get your head in a better space and get you out of pain Mm. like no one makes good decisions when they're in pain Mm. I'm okay you're going to avoid these high fat excuse me higher FODMAP (laughs) you're right (laughs) that even the acronym didn't help then um you're going to avoid these higher FODMAP foods for a few weeks while we look at what's actually going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Because it could be that gut bacteria imbalance. It could be SIBO. It could be celiac disease. Mm. You know, in adults, that often doesn't present with the symptoms that you get in children. It could be mm. food intolerances. You could be lactose intolerant. You could have... Um, gut inflammation, it could literally be high stress. I've seen that as a massive cause of IBS symptoms. It could be poor motility. So it could really just be your gut not moving food down and out as well as it could be. Like there, it you know, it could be a gut immune um, interface imbalance. It could be lower levels of um, your body, your gut has a, a little secretion called secretory IgA, which acts as like a first line of defense. And when that goes out of balance, um, and that can be impacted by stress, low the last two years. Mm. Well, that, and continuing now. Far yeah, out. Well, like far out. And and that can all lead to symptoms that are IBS symptoms. Mm. But also, I feel that this is where we need to talk about the overlap between IBS symptoms and endometriosis symptoms. Mm. And 
a reminder of why it's so important to try and get to the cause of what's going on in your gut. So, so Kate, do you recommend – because when I think about this too and hearing this and, you know, it's like trying to get to the root cause and so on and so forth and that can all cost a lot of money, right? Yeah. You know, mm. you go to one doctor and they're like, oh, it's, just, it's just IBS, take a probiotic. You go to another doctor, oh, yeah, you've got to go on FODMAP, you need to stay on that. And then you go to – you know, it's like – so – we need to be searching out gut health specific practitioners is a good way to start. Like do you suggest working in conjunction with a nutritionist like yourself and then also a doctor or? I recommend depending on the severity of symptoms, depending on a person's health history and family health history, I recommend getting more sinister things ruled out first. Um, right, so as in ruling out red flags. Yes, yeah, so ruling out um, inflammatory bowel disease, mm-hmm. so for example like Crohn's disease. So seeing if you can get a colonoscopy, um, seeing if you can go and get some celiac blood tests, so looking at celiac antibodies and celiac gene tests. Um, so going and getting as much done through a GP and making sure that there's not anything more sinister going on, that you don't have an ulcer. Um, you know, some GPs will send you for tests for parasites as well because that can sometimes cause bloating and diarrhoea. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like to rule out anything that feels like a red flag where it's like, okay, you need, you need a, you know, let's, let's see if you can't actually get a diagnosis Mm-hmm. for this mm-hmm. but if you know where I see clients mostly is that they've been to a GP mm. um, and often they'll come to me with a whole bunch of you know their most recent blood tests mm. um, they've had a colonoscopy there's no um, nothing internal going on mm. but they're sort of like well what do I do now they might have been told to go low, low FODMAP mm. um and I'm happy to put my hand up here too and, and say that I – so my, my doctor's amazing and I've had um, some sort of ongoing chronic kind of symptoms now for over six months, gut-wise, and so mm-hmm. basically given my age, a.k.a. on my way to 45, um, she's like, yeah, you know, we, you need to have a colonoscopy. We need to – and I think that that's important that I talk about that on a this on a platform – you know, like we have here, which ultimately we initiated because we don't want to whisper about this stuff. We shouldn't be whispering about it. Um, So, yeah, I've got to have a call. I haven't – I've been a little bit naughty and put off booking it in. I'm not going to say I'm not nervous about it. I am. Um, You know, got got my friend that's going to come and pick me up from it and everything, so I've just Uh got to book it on in. Um, but yeah, so props to my doctor for saying, yeah, you know, no, we're going to, we're going to get this checked first and then we go from there. That's amazing. So, um, so I'll give, so by the way, everyone, I'll give you, if you want, if you want to follow up, I'll give you a follow up on what the process was like. Yeah. (laughs) Can you do an episode on that? Yeah, well, if everyone wants to hear, I mean, it might help me to actually be like, okay, I'm going to talk about this so I can get through it a bit more easily. Yeah, that's, that's 
let's do it. I think all those things, you know, <laughs> colonoscopies like bowel investigations, just like talking about abortion. Mm. Like it's things that we should just be going, yep, this is just part of our health. Well, healthcare. yeah, and it's our body. It's like why is it that there's certain things about our body that mm-hmm. we feel more comfortable talking about than other things? It's yeah. interesting. It's a bit like, oh, you know. Um, so, yeah, so, okay, I will I will bring that to the podcast and let yeah. you all know how, how that goes. Um, yeah. yeah, so there you go. I'm getting a colonoscopy. One of, my, one of my most recent clients, I actually just went through this process with her of that she came to me with um, IBS symptoms that actually were going along with migraines as well. Uh. And, um, and her blood test was showing... Um, low nutrient absorption. So in terms uh, of where to start without having to do a million tests, mm. in terms of that, your blood tests, even standard blood tests, will tell me a lot about what's going on in your gut. Mm. So if you're low in iron but you are eating red meat regularly and you don't have heavy periods and you might even be taking an iron supplement but your iron is low, then we know that that's an absorption problem. So I'm looking more closely at your gut. Same with B12, same with vitamin D. Um, And then looking at gut symptoms as well and if they get better or worse with stress or with food. And when they started, Mm. you know, so if your IBS symptoms flared um, or you notice them after a period of chronic stress or trauma, Mm. then I have a little indication there that I need to rule out that gut imbalance because we know that high stress can cause that gut dysbiosis where those good gut bacteria go down and those bad bacteria have an opportunity to thrive because mm. they're generally pretty happy just staying in their, like, little population. But if they see space... Mm. And it's interesting you say that too because um, I was looking at um, a, a study that... Actually, shout out to Adam Meekins. Um, he found this woman. He's an incredible physio and educator uh, from the UK. And I'd remembered him posting about this study a while ago. And I was like, Adam, can you find me that study? I remember it was really interesting. And this was basically a review. And we, any of these studies we speak about, we'll link to in the show notes. Um, so you can go and have a, you know, a deep dive into them yourself. I actually, I'm going to put my hand up and say I found this review quite hard to read it took me probably three or four reads to kind of you know read throughs to get my head around it um Mm. but the premise is is what they're looking at is um the review is called cartilage gut microbiome axis a new paradigm for novel therapeutic opportunities in osteoarthritis um and this was done in 2019 and it was very interesting and it didn't surprise me at all that when I sent it to you Kate you were totally all over this but basically what they're looking at here is that they've found DNA of gut of the gut microbiome biome sorry has been found in the synovium of osteoarthritis um, mm. and human cartilage. So basically, they're seeing bacteria from the gut transferring, they think, via blood into yeah. into um, cartilage. And so what they're looking at here is okay. If we've got this physiologic, aka normal, um, subchondral, which is the layer of bone just below the cartilage in a joint, microbiota, um, it could enhance cartilage healing 
This is just mm. what they this is what they're exploring and transform components of deep cartilage matrix um and and with immunosuppressive properties. So there's this possibility that this healthy gut microbiome that is transitioning into the cartilage could actually help um, mm. in cases like osteoarthritis. But then they're also conversely saying how dysbiosis, so that's when there's the imbalance of the subchondral microbiota, might actually contribute to some osteoarthritis. So I thought that was just like, what? Yeah. And it, it, this is this is why it's so important to really get to the bottom of IBS. So I've seen clients where, again, they've come to me for IBS and they also have joint pain, but they're like 35. Right. Like really have joint pain. So, you know, and, and no family history of arthritis, um, no personal history of like elite exercise or training that would make early onset arthritis more likely. And, um, and, and most often it's actually to do with gut bacteria. Um, the most common gut bacteria I see that influence joint pain is um, a, a species called Prevotella and another one called Klebsiella. You can actually do gut tests for those. They're, those are ones that will show up in a gut test. Ah. If, you know, that's at, that's at the higher end of um, testing. But this is just why it's so important. It's that fascinating. That a diagnosis of IBS, I just, I just feel that should be a temporary thing of like, hey, we're just going to say you have IBS for yeah, the moment. Yeah. Yep. The bottom of it. Yep. This, this, you know, this is what you can do in the short term mm-hmm. to make symptoms, but we do need to know what's mm. going, on, mm. um, and treat you as a person, not just your gut symptoms. Mm. Hey, can we loop back? Because I feel like. I went on a different tangent and potentially cut off what you were about to say in regards to the symptom overlap between IBS and endometriosis. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So a few things going on here. Um, So first of all, women report um, more severe IBS symptoms around their period. Okay, so that might be... Um, an overlap of just IBS symptoms and pre-period symptoms. Uh-huh. It does look, though, that that increased sensitivity around the time of your period actually could exacerbate the the, the feelings of IBS as well. Um, but something that also flares around your period is endometriosis. Mm. And when we look at the overlap of endo symptoms and IBS symptoms, we see bloating, constipation, diarrhea, sometimes nausea, um, especially if um, endometrium-like tissue has also grown into the bowel. So endometriosis is a debilitating condition where cells that resemble the lining of your uterus so they're called endometrial cells, Mm. they decide to grow anywhere they want, Mm. outside the uterus, and they can fuse different organs together. Um, So endometrial cells or endometrial tissue can be found in the fallopian tubes, the ovaries. It can also grow in the bowel, though. Mm. And so if you're going to the doctor and you've got these IBS symptoms and they've checked for Crohn's disease, they've checked your bowel, 
they may not have checked, they may not have considered an endometriosis diagnosis. So that's where we see a delay in getting a diagnosis. And we know that endometriosis, most women have endo for years before getting an accurate diagnosis. Mm. Um, you know, that whole thing of, oh, God, my period pain's really bad. Oh, well, darling, just deal with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so this is just where, you know, it's just so important to get to the bottom because endo and IBS might be coexisting. We also know that women with endometriosis have a high incidence of IBS. Ah. So that's actually interesting. And we know that women who then try and manage their IBS often report less endometriosis pain, probably because they're they're able to reduce IBS bloating and then that's having a that's having a flow and effect with um, endometriosis symptoms as well. So yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Just get, you know, I'm not telling anyone to start imagining disorders that you don't have, but just be confident that, just be aware, first of all, that IBS describes, it's not a diagnosis, it's just a description of a cluster of symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's really important to get, to get an idea of what's causing those symptoms because the, the common advice for IBS treatment in that low FODMAP diet could be making your gut health worse in the long term. Mm. Um, And it's just, you know, the impact of IBS on what's mainly women's lives is quite severe. I had a client who had, when she came to see me, she was having diarrhoea multiple times a day and she had passed up a job promotion because where her office was in her current position was right near the toilet and where she would have to move for her promotion was actually further away from the toilet and that was causing her the most incredible stress that she actually passed up a promotion at work. Gosh. So, like, this is, this is, this is, that's huge. Yeah. Wow. That is huge. And studies that show um, the prevalence, the high prevalence of depression and anxiety, um, in women who report having IBS as well um, and chronic IBS um, is really concerning. It is. And that could be looking um, looking at that depression as well, you know, and that's where you're looking at it. The question is, is it a vicious circle? Are you getting depressed and depressed and anxious? because your IBS symptoms are flaring and you don't know when they'll flare, mm. which often, like we know IBS To be honest, symptoms... they make you feel like shit. <laughs> no, yeah. No pun intended. But no. they really, you know, like <laughs> when you're not feeling good down there, like when you're not feeling good in your gut, um, it's like when you've got anything, it's like if you've got a sore low back, right? Yeah. Something like that constantly chips away at your resilience. Ah. Oh. It's a biological stressor. Yeah. Also, though, we know that depression is an inflammatory state and there are links to that inflammation starting in your gut. Mm. And we know that if you have that overgrowth of bad bacteria, which are producing, instead of producing short-chain fatty acids, they're producing endotoxins when they die off, that that can contribute to inflammation and that may be contributing to depression. 
But then if your IBS symptoms are flaring and that's making you even more stressed, like you're in this little vicious cycle. Yeah. And then like it's just it's just something that we should that we should care about and something that we should know doesn't have to be accepted as just, oh, you just have IBS. Yeah. Um, because it, you know, it, that's getting in the way of of you actually getting to the cause of it and and you know looking for a much more likely cause, addressing that and getting on with your life. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Getting on. So um, something that I do all the time with clients and something that anyone listening today can do as well is um, if you're listening to this and going, oh, God, I just, you know, thought my IBS was something I had to put up with or it's just something that, you know, you're born with, think about, when did your IBS start? Okay. So if it started, it like, so if you've always had IBS for as long as you can remember, then you're probably looking at food intolerances or a genetic implication there. Okay. So it could be lactose intolerance. It could be celiac. Um, it could be, um, you know, so you're looking at, um, it could be low secretary IgA. So you're looking at that as possible more likely causes if your IBS started after you know a gastro infection or stomach surgery then your IBS could actually be SIBO and there's um some really interesting research on the the high prevalence of SIBO in IBS um sufferers mm. actually is a real cause so I'll, I'll pop I'll pop a really cool study in the show notes for that um, and the other thing to think about is did your IBS start after a period of high stress or an episode of trauma, in which case your IBS could actually be that gut imbalance, so dysbiosis. And all those things can be addressed. Mm. So I think that's just a little checklist to go through. And then find someone who supports you mm. in getting to the bottom um, and treats you as a person not just symptoms, because if your symptoms are impacting your life, then that needs investigation and support. Mm. Um, and hopefully we, we all get to be as um, lucky as Chloe. He's getting some lovely support at the moment. And I've had lovely support from some beautiful GPs as well. Mm. So yeah, it's where, and I mean, again, I, I, some, I, I feel like it's a little privileged as well to say, keep shopping around until you find the, you know, a supportive doctor, etc. I mean, not everyone has that avenue, uh, but yeah, it. I mean, I I have had to. You know, it wasn't easy <laughs> to find to find an amazing doctor. To be honest, no. um, but it is a really good place to start too with someone like you, Kate, who is accessible as well online. Yeah, like I think the the world in this last as much as it's been such a shit show these last couple of years there have been some good things to come out of it, such as accessibility um, yes. to really high-quality care um, mm. because it's no longer a proviso that, that with to have an appointment with someone like you, they don't have to physically be in Sydney. It could be anywhere in the world, right? No. And, and, and on, that, on the use of, like, technology to advance your healthcare, um, like I see it every day, either in personal Facebook groups or in professional groups I'm in, um, call outs for supportive GPs. You know, ah. so I have a list of GPs that I know work 
in a health at any size space. I have GPs I know who work um, with transgender people. I have a list of GPs who are really um, proactive with gut investigations. And yeah, so get in amongst, if you are looking for GPs and you want to try and you don't, you know, like no one has the time or money to to, to test drive them out. Yeah, Jump, that's the thing. <laughs> ask your group of supportive friends, or ask your you know your cool Facebook group um, about recommendations of people they've seen who are supportive. Brilliant. And they may not know what's going on with you. Hopefully, you'll find a GP that is um, very very eager to help you feel better and um, get to the bottom of something and mm. direct you, and um, or at least like rule out some things and um, get to the bottom of some things rather than having just like put up with a cranky, you know, a cranky gut. Yeah. Your life. Um, Wow. That was so helpful. (laughs) What a great, what a great episode. It's so interesting. I feel like we could speak about the gut microbiome for many episodes. Oh, it's, it's so in depth. It's so in depth. Um, any opportunity to say poo shoot. Um, you know, oh, great. Are we going to leave it on that, are we? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm going to add some other words to that. Poo shoot, colonoscopy, abortion, women's health rights. There we go. Let's keep saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Keep saying it. Yep. Yep. And fuck the patriarchy. I just would like to add that in. <laughs> yes. You know. <laughs> just want yeah. to add that in there. So, um, yeah, what a, well, let's leave it on that. Fuck the patriarchy. And let's keep um, rallying around each other more now than ever. Just just when we think, just when we think, um, you know, we can we can start to 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 heal and, and calm our nervous system a little after the last two years. No. We need to fucking fire shit up again, big time, more than ever. Yeah. Um but yeah, we are stronger together and men, please jump the fuck in and be as loud as we are on this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please. Yeah. Um, okay, Kate. Well, thank you. I, I'm amazing. You just, I don't know how you store or store all of that in your head. Um, your knowledge and depth of knowledge just blows me away. So thank you for bringing that to us all. It's amazing. Thank you, Chloe. This was a great chat. It was a great chat. And, um, yeah, big love to everyone out there at the moment. You know, it's just I feel like I feel quite quite flat, if I'm being perfectly honest. I feel really like this is not my normal, you know, (laughs) jovial sort of self. Um, I think it's hard to – it's hard for everyone at the moment to, to rally um but we will we will yeah. we will rally and um yeah we're thinking about everyone in the world and really thinking about our american um american compatriots right now american yeah. yeah absolutely i feel for everyone whose health decisions are mm. now thoroughly compromised mm. if they're living in certain states in america mm. And, um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it just, mm. it's quite unbelievable actually, but. Um, 
And if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I know some resources that Chloe and Kate could shout out on the next episode or that we could share um, on our Instagram, please get in contact with us. You can get in contact with us. All the all the links are in the show notes. So Instagram, you can email us, you can whatever way you want to get in contact with us, please do. Because we are here also to um, be educated and help educate. So anything that we can share that will help, um, please let us know. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chloe. Today was fabulous. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, everyone.